Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. Hope you're having a good weekend so far. I'm with you until seven this Saturday morning. After six, I'm in conversation. But first, it's the best of Steve Allen. My weekly roundup of some of the best bits from my early breakfast shows, starting with this. The wolf whistle, Steve, originates from the Navy general call made with a, a bosun's pipe. The general call is made on a ship to get the attention of all hands for an announcement. Sailors in harbour would whistle the general call upon seeing an attractive woman to draw fellow sailors in and to get the attention to her, says Nick, in Stockport. So that's that's where it originates from. It's the it's the wolf whistling. I mean, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it, if you're an unattractive woman and nobody wolf whistles. You walk past a building site. No, no, no. So you walk back again. No, OK, a bit more breast. No, 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 no. Still no wolf whistling. What's going on? They only wolf whistle attractive people. I think everybody should be wolf whistled. Every single person. You don't single somebody out because they're unattractive. They know they're unattractive. You don't need to sort of kind, kind of emphasise to them that, you know, the reason we're not wolf whistling, love, is because you're unattractive. They did it on that programme on the television. I can't remember how it worked out. But the uh, the girls walking along the street. Uh, what was it called? Um... Oh, the, the actress was, was Kathy Burke. And, um, and she was mincing along the street. And somebody wolf whistles and she walks straight into a lamppost. But they're not wolf whistling her. They're wolf whistling the really attractive girl behind. But she thinks it's for her, which I thought was quite sweet. Kathy Burke. And uh, she was living with... There was a gay guy. Um, I can't remember what the blowing thing's called. We'll, we'll come to it in a moment. It was a comedy series, ran on, I think, BBC Two. Uh, next to a neighbour, there was uh, a, a black guy. Oh, it did happen for real, her 20. Right. But it definitely happened on this TV programme because she went, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like that, thinking she was being whistled at, but it wasn't. It was the, the really attractive girl behind her, which made it a bit sad, really. Felt a bit sorry for her that she. But anyway, it kind of made her day because she thought she was being whistled at. But there are women apparently who like being whistled at. And, um, you know, why not? It's like complimenting somebody. You know, hello, you smell really nice. Your hair looks lovely. You know, something like... I, I don't get that from people. I haven't got any hair. But, uh, but you generally get people that say things like that. Uh, compliments, nice. Compliments are good. You know, that's, that's what makes the world go round, doesn't it? You know, if you say to somebody, God, you look really nice today. Well, you know, why should you... No, not you. You're supposed to say things to people, aren't you? Because it's, it boosts their, their, their confidence. If I get on the bus and somebody goes, God, you look so much younger than I thought you would be. You know, they never, they've nobody said that in 20 years of using a bus. Nobody's ever said a word to me. Not a peep. I sit there now and people just totally ignore. I think they just think I'm an old man. I think, I think they think I'm an old man. It's all very embarrassing, really. I think I've gone from being sort of youthful and, yeah, woo, jumping around all the rest of it to being, I don't like this party. It's too noisy. You know, can't hear myself think. Can't we go outside and just have a... Perhaps some cheese on crackers or something and have a glass. I bought two bottles the other day of a dessert wine, uh, which I quite like dessert wines. You always tell it's dessert wine. It's a much smaller bottle, about the same price, if not more expensive. About 11 quid this was for a nice uh, dessert wine. I haven't tried it because I'll probably end up giving it to my brother. Because it's the kind of thing, when I empty the boot of the car, when I go down to see him, I always go, what do you want? Some Prosecco, some chocolates, take all of it. Because he wouldn't go out and buy it. But if I give it to him, he'll, he'll take it anyway. It was gimme, 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 the programme. Thank you, Rick. I know everybody would know except me. Gimme, gimme, gimme. She, it's so funny. So funny. I don't know why they don't repeat that. 
Must be loads of stuff you can repeat on the BBC, apart from the dross they're giving us at the moment. Must be cheaper to repeat something, mustn't it, than some of the, uh, some of the sort of things. And uh, what about a remake of Gimme, Gimme, Gimme with Gemma Collins and Bobby Cole Norris? The trouble is, he's just not funny, is he? He's to be pitied. And also Gemma Collins. I mean, she's out of the business anyway. I don't think it would be, uh, you know... Pfft. I don't just really, just sort of out of it. I'm afraid, actually. Uh, if wolf whistling was considered a compliment... It would be of the lowest form. Society appears to be lost on your presenter, says a sued. I don't know. I don't know what that means, actually. If wolf whistling was considered a compliment, it would be the lowest form. No, apparently not. Mr. Sued. Um, this is what women are saying, actually. That's what women are saying. They're saying they look at it as a compliment. Uh, somebody says maybe it's not you being wolf whistled at as you walk down Twickenham High Street. Well, actually, I'm not thinking about just Twickenham High Street. I mean, it's, it is true. It could be, uh, you know, I mean, it could be James O'Brien, but I don't think anybody would be wolf whistling. I mean, you know, in a sort of a, in a beauty competition, I'm going to walk it. Absolutely walk it. So apart from uh, uh, a number of women who enjoy being wolf whistled at, they think it's a compliment. So that's good for them because it was International Women's Day yesterday. Uh, a sued obviously didn't celebrate uh, Women's Day at all. And we just sat at home feeling quite miserable. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Most successful duo on television is apparently Holly and Phil. Uh, not Ant and Deck. I thought it would have been Ant and Deck, but it's Holly and Phil. And third is uh, Sue Perkins and Mel Gidroyd. But then, can you think of anybody else, ladies and gentlemen, who works as a as a double act on television? I mean, I'm thinking of Susanna Reid and Piers Morgan, but in fact, really, that's a combined effort because there's loads of people working on that programme. Richard and Judy aren't on TV anymore, so you have to discount them. Well, I mean, we all we all discounted Judy anyway. I mean, she wasn't there half the time, even though she was there. And uh, but you think of anybody else, any other sort of double acts who work on t- the answer is there aren't any double acts. There's Anton Deck. There's Dan Walker and Louise Minchin. I don't think so. That's not really a double act, is it? That's just sort of two people who read auto cue and uh, conduct interviews. Um, no, I mean, I, I can't think there's nobody else, is there? It's like whenever they go for daytime magazine programmes, there is only this morning. There isn't anything else. You know, loose women is sort of so painfully embarrassing at the moment that, uh, you know, they need to either change the production staff or sort of just sort of change the lineup on the uh, on the chairs because it's awful. It's awful. It's plumbing. You're getting all the wrong publicity, all the wrong publicity. Oh, the Chuckle Brothers. No, but they don't have a regular programme, do they? To me, to you, to you, to me. No, that doesn't work at all, does it? Can't think of anybody. If you think of any, let me know. Steve, love the show and agree on the lack of double acts. You could probably include Alexander Armstrong and Richard Osman, maybe. Yes, you could. Yes, that would be entirely possible. Alexander, who had a, um, a medical examination. Did you see that in the paper on, uh, on this morning? He dropped his trousers and pants and let the doctor... Although, strange enough, they didn't show it. I don't know. Perhaps we're obviously sort of not allowed to see things. And, of course, Eamon and Ruth. I don't think they were on the list, actually. I don't think they were on the list... I don't think so, anyway. Uh, other TV couples, Sam and Mark. Sam and Mark, yeah, that was from children's television. Dick and Dom, the only act with two, well, it certainly wasn't Dom's in it, uh, mainly, on, uh, mainly on kids' television. Yeah, I don't know what happened to Dick and Dom. One of them got into trouble with a young girl, didn't he? And he had to pay or something. There was some story I remember in the back of my mind, actually. And Sooty and your friend Sweep, says Richard. All right, we don't need that kind of talk on this programme. It's not necessary, is it? Dick and Don, British double act. Richard Dick McCourt and Dominic Wood. And uh, I don't know what they're doing at the moment. Personal life. 
Oh, that's right. McCourt was filmed outside a nightclub in Manchester, telling people that while he took drugs in the past, his doctors warned him of the dangerous effect. Well, thank goodness for that. Thanks goodness for that. You know, and um, you, must, you must never do things like that. Absolutely never at all. And uh, Wood Maddie's married um, Sandy Lee Hughes of the now defunct pop band All Stars. They've got two sons, Tommy and Sam. It's quite a good name, actually. Wood has been diagnosed as dyslexic. He's also a vegetarian. He's five foot foot, five foot five tall. God, blimey, he's really small. Dominic Wood is only five foot five. Five foot blimey, he's very small, isn't he, really? He lives near the... Wait a minute, lives near Teddington? That's a little bit too close for comfort. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, blimey, slightly disturbed by that. Uh, Cy and Dave, double axe, yes, yes, the hairy bikers. Holly and Phil, well, yeah, they've actually won it, Nicky, so you're a little bit behind the times on that one. Rylan and his husband, well, he can't present for Toffee. Rylan, I'm sorry, we're talking about double acts here. Not talking about lame ne'er-do-wells, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Rylan's husband, the former policeman who can't present for Toffee, ridiculous. Uh, Eric and Ernie, never be anybody like them, says Julie. Uh, Dom Littlewood and some bloke on a motorbike. Do you mean Matt Allwright on the motorbike? And that other bloke got fired because he was um, he was a ne'er do well. Uh, the BBC hushed that one up as quickly as they uh, possibly could. Uh, Steve, I wouldn't be disappointed if Eamon and Fiona returned to TV as a double act. Eamon and Fiona. Oh, Eamon Holmes and Fiona Phillips. Oh, I don't think she'd want to do that again. And also Eamon Holmes. I mean, he's he's practically gone into retirement, hasn't he? Poor old soul. Steve Allen on LBC. Living in Essex, says Kevin the Milkman, I say ream in Staples when I'm buying paper for my computer's printer. Nobody says ream in Essex, do they? It was just a silly thing made up by the uh, by sort of the team out there. And, uh, you know, on uh, on on TOWIE. And you think to yourself, nobody says ream or sick. Yeah, because I'm going out with this well sick person. Who talks like that? And then the South London used to talk like that. But, I mean, God, who lives in South London now? Nobody. Nobody of the right mind. And then they had celebrity dating the other day. This is the one that poor old Fern McCann, the one who can basically get her teeth around any English words. And uh, who turned up the other day? It's amazing. Bobby Cole Norris came in there because he's still single, you know. Being the only gay in the village is probably quite likely. They think they're going to team him up with the receptionist in this ridiculous agency that appears to try and link people up. It's the most stupid programme I've ever seen. Apart from the fact there are no celebrities in it. They're just bimbos and himbos of a television reality show. They have to tell you what they're on now. Yeah, I was on a reality show years ago. Oh, uh, what's your name? Gemma, Gemma Collins. Oh, right, what did you do? I don't know, I just ate and um, just got fat. I can't do it, I don't know. Uh, and then I became famous. Then I went out with somebody who was in prison. And then I went on, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. That was good, I like that. Because I lasted two days. And, and then I came back. And then I had to give the money to charity because my agent said it was like a good thing to do. And then, what did I do after that? And I got fat again, and then I and then I went on a diet, and then and then people laughed at me because they went, "You're still fat," and I went, "I know, but I can't help it. I've got big glands. Nothing you could do about things like that." But I'm a celebrity, though. I'm a celebrity, and so that's why you know I like that people. And then, then I had the one night stand with Arge uh, because he'd been there before, and we had a you know because because we like love you know, love each other. And um, and then I thought I was going to be pregnant and it turned out I wasn't. That was lucky, wasn't it? But I managed to tell everybody all about it. A celebrity's career encapsulated. 
This is LBC with Steve Allen. Rob the Builder, can we fix it? No, we can't. And that was it. All these people moaning about being self-employed. It's ridiculous. I mean, I didn't choose to be self-employed. It's just the nature of the business. If you do this, you tend to be self-employed. The reason you're self-employed is because they're not going to make you staff, because if you end up with disastrous figures, they can't get rid of you. And the whole idea about this business is that it keeps uh, evolving. So that's why we're self I don't object to paying the extra however much it is. I'll have to sit on the streets and beg for it, but I'll get it somehow by hook or by crook, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you to uh, your man. What a Odd sense, an odd bunch of callers this morning. Do you think Matron had allowed people to use phones all of a sudden? It was full moon, wasn't it? Really disturbing, I think. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Morning, a really nice to be company. Darren's back with you tomorrow. More. He thought I'd forgotten his name. Seriously. Seriously. Like, you know, I've got the onset of I can't remember anything at the moment. You know, sometimes you're talking to somebody and people go, hello, and I go, hi, and I'm thinking, who are you? Who are you? I know I know you, but I'm just blowed producer it's just i can't remember people's names now so people remember my name and then they go so and and you all the way through the conversation having this vague conversation thinking i see you every day but i'm i did it when we went on stage when we did the the tour we uh, at one point the travel girl turned up here <laughs> i've just forgotten her name again <laughs> joe <laughs> Joanne turned up to one of the shows and uh, and we had this 400 people in this little theatre, which was lovely, out somewhere. I can't remember. Anyway, so we, we go to this theatre. I was having a bad day anyway. They'd stupidly given me a vodka beforehand and we'd had fish and chips, which was all very nice. And we come on stage and we do the hello, nice to see you. And, you know, the audience are really lovely and all the rest of it. And then I noticed Joanne in the audience and I said, and hit because you hear her every morning. Here she is. And I got blank. I got blank. I, I couldn't remember her name. I said, we call her Travel Girl. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. I don't think she's ever forgiven me. <laughs> I just, you know, when you have a, just a complete mental block, I sometimes have to stare towards the glass because if we have people for In Conversation, I'll go, and coming up this week on In Conversation, and he'll then say in my ear, you've got so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And I repeat it. Parrot fashion. It's the only way you can get through, isn't it, really? I mean, thank God there's a jingle with my name on it, so I don't actually have to say my name's, you know, Betty Boo or something like that. I can actually tell you that I am. That's why LBC is written all the way round it, purely for my benefit, in case I forget where I'm working. There used to be a presenter here, same surname that I had. I won't tell you her first name, Carol. And uh, she used to write down LBC 97.3, and She would write it all down. I said, why do you keep writing it down? She says, because I keep forgetting it. I said, well, now I know how it is. I always remember the station and I remember my name. It's just that I might not remember other people's names. So if I if I read out a text from you and I don't mention your name, it's not because I don't want to mention your name. It's because I don't know who you are. OK, and if I don't know who you are, I'm not going to mention your name. It's as simple as that. I can't help it. But I did remember Darren's name. It just it didn't fit into the script in my mind. I had this thing that I was going to do. Sorry. Yeah, I think you're mad, yeah. I, I quite like the idea when I was doing the Rob the Builder, and that threw me for the rest of it, because I was so happy I'd done that little bit, thinking, nobody else has done that. I'll be the only one to do it. Can't see Nick Ferrari. I <laughs> forgot his name. <laughs> Coming up. Nick Ferrari with breakfast this morning. Then it's James O'Brien. Then it's Sheila Fogarty. Ian Dale pops up at some point. And Clive Bullaby here and Ian Collins. Nigel Farage, of course. And um, and then we're back round to um, your man again. <laughs> Hi, your man. <laughs> you can spend eight. Do you know, somebody said to me, you know, if, if ever you get a day where you can't think about what to do on the programme, just talk about 
what you can't think about to do on the programme. And before you know where you are, you've done like five minutes on it. Because people always say to me, how do you know what to talk about? I said, I don't. I've got no idea. Until you sit down and you look at the list of stories that you've pulled from the papers, you've got no idea what you're going to talk about, apart from the budget and uh, the fact you're self-employed. And if you're a self-employed person, you're going to be a little bit worse off. But to be honest with you, it's doable. It's about 250 quid. Don't bother me. I'll pay it, because if that's what they've said, we, we pay, so we go up to, to 10%. I don't care. But I didn't choose to be self-employed. It's not sort of, unless you're a builder, in which case you probably choose to be self-employed. I didn't choose to be self-employed. It's the nature of the business. So, you know, like all the television presenters, like the Anton Decks and, um, and lots of other people, uh, Gary Linekers and people like that, they're all self-employed. They're all self-employed. That's why Gary Barlow moved his tax affairs elsewhere. Well, his money elsewhere. And, uh, and Jimmy Carr did the same and then brought it back in again because you're self-employed. Because you've got to look after yourself. There's no sort of um, the company looking after you in that way because you're not a staff person. I'm contracted year upon year upon year. And that's, uh, that's generally how it works. Steve Allen on LBC. Paul Burrell drones on about his gay life. Apparently there was a gay orgy on the Royal Yacht Britannia. No kidding. No kidding. How exciting was that? Good Lord, honestly. Paul Burrell, gay. Well, I tell you, he could have knocked us down sideways, ladies and gentlemen. We never would have guessed that in a million years. Aged old queen has flower shop. Hello! Come on! Goodness sake. And bows and scrapes to the royal family. That's what they like. The, the, the queen mother only had gay staff. I don't think there were that many straight staff at all. It was like a private gay club run by somebody called Backstairs Billy. Make of that what you will. And uh, he uh, and then in the paper the other day, they were suggesting he might have had a fling with um, Earl Snowden as well. Good God, honestly, it's rife in between the, uh, the corridors of Buckingham Palace. But uh, Paul Burrell, nobody cares. I mean, seriously, in this day and age, if you've really got to worry about what Paul Burrell gets up to and how he's had a gay orgy on the Royal Yacht Britannia, you need to get out there and smell the coffee a little bit more because it's a bit boring. It's very, very dull, very, very uninteresting. Nobody cares. He'd split up from the wife years. He'd been going out with this current bloke for 10 years. 10 years. And people go, oh, he only just divorced the wife the other way. Yeah, because he's got two kids. It's called bisexual turning to nancydom, which is on the other side of it. You know, some people, they start off, they think they're straight, so they get married, and they suddenly realise that they're not really attracted to their wife at all, so they have sex a couple of times, produce a few children, and then uh, and then, then they turn gay. And everybody goes, oh, never saw that one coming. Of course they did. Wives always know about it. Women are always very perceptive to this sort of thing. And so in the case of Paul Burrell, nobody cares. After the orgy, the Queen told me, find nice girl and get married. You can say anything you like, Mr Burrell. I don't believe a word you say. Not one word. And, um, and also, after the orgy, a gay orgy, the, the Queen told me, find nice girl and get married. You can say anything you like. She's never going to comment on something like that. She's never going to comment on it. And uh, as I say, I think everybody knew from early days exactly which side of the fence you were straddling. I mean, it really is so, so uninteresting. You know, so it's like somebody coming out of straight and go, Prince Harry going, <clears throat> I'm straight. And you go, but you're shaving your chest. And he goes, yeah, uh, because, you know, I mean, he's never done it before. He's always looked a bit naff, but um, he was never buff. Unfortunately, Prince Harry was never buff body. There are loads of buff bodies out there and he ain't one of them. You know, you've never seen him swimming. He always wears the worst clothes ever, big baggy things. He's got a, a lumpy, spongy kind of a body. He's just a bit flab. Bit flat. I'm not in any position to talk about it, so don't don't get me wrong. I'm not criticising. I'm just pointing out a fact. 
OK, he's got flabby body. He does not have toned muscles or anything else at all. He might kick a football around, but, of course, when he's at home all by his lonesome, he kicks a ball around by himself. Because, I don't, you know, he, he can't invite his friends around. They go, Harry, don't you think you should grow up now? You're 32, nearly 33. Just started shaving your chest. Who do you think gets to do that for him? Do you think he goes to a salon? Do you think he goes to one of those salons? I don't know. Might go to one of those Thai salons where they do that kind of stripping or... I mean, do you think he does it himself? Oh, I'll just uh, shave my chest. Oh, cut myself. Oh, bleeding. Not very nice indeed. Steve Allen on LBC. You know, they've got this huge problem over in Russia at the moment. They, they're they not allowed to, for reasons best known to themselves, uh, do any propaganda for gay people. Uh, and yet I'm sure Russia must be a veritable fairyland of gay people. They must have gay bars, there must be clubs, there must be... Well, I'm assuming, I don't know, I've never been there. But I'm assuming that's what they've got, and the guards out there in the Russian army have been known to push people around. So uh, the because they're not allowed to promote or do any propaganda for, for gay people, I mean... You know, one minute you think they're very, uh, very in touch with everything. The other thing, they're so backward, you can't quite believe it. And um, and of course, old old Vlad likes the old topless photo, the old sort of machismo thing. It's sort of butch. Here is Vlad on horse, topless, showing his sort of body off. I mean, you know, it's really peculiar, really peculiar thing. But anyway, uh, they're not going to be showing Disney's Beauty and the Beast because there's a gay character in it. I know, I know in this day and age, hold me back. As I say, have you ever seen any of the stewards and stewardesses on Aeroflot? OK, I rest my case. I rest my case. They make the Disney characters look even more effeminate than you can ever imagine. And I think one of them is called Lefaux. As I said yesterday, of course he's going to be gay. He's called Lefaux. That's what it is. It's a very camp name. And so because of that, they're not going to be showing this film in Russia. It's almost hysterical. Seriously, I couldn't believe it either. That's, uh, that's what they want to do. That's what they want to do. Steve Allen on LBC. You sometimes wonder, don't you, whether or not uh, fans of groups are actually quite vile people. You know, there's, uh, there's two girls who've accused Louis Tomlinson of attacking them have now been bombarded with death threats. I mean, it, I mean, I laugh because of the sheer simplicity of the whole thing. Raging One Direction fans warned the pair to watch their backs as they vowed revenge. So they've got a picture of these two. This is in America, incidentally. It's nothing to do with here. One of the alleged victims claimed the pop hunk hit her in the face. He was arrested at L.A. International Airport. Hysterical fans. Oh, God, what still? Still. Later hounded the two girls off social media. One of the girls is pressing charges against Louis. And uh, so it's a so-and-so. One of the fans told the girls on social media, if you touch my baby again, I'll shred you to pieces. They're so deluded, aren't they, the One Direction fans? They've quite clearly got some, some mental issues going on here. I'll shred you to pieces. And the other one said, you two are so dead once I found you. Uh, let me just advise the girls who are pressing charges, or one of them against Louis Tomlinson, these people don't know who you are. They have no idea. They're sick people. I mean, Beatlemania was never like this. Be Even Osmond Mania was never like this. The Bay City Roller Mania. It's just these vile people now. So a so-called One Direction fan, I'd have them deleted from social media immediately writing stuff like that. You don't want to associate with that sort of pond life. You know, watch your backs. I'm going to shred you. Do you know, you want to find these people. Go round to their mummy and daddy's little home because you bet your bottom dollar they will be living at home with mummies and daddies and uh, they'll turn out to be pond life. They'll turn out to be sort of chavvy chav chavs. 
something the matter with them, not the full tickets, not the full shilling, ladies and gentlemen. Leading Britain's conversation, LBC, with Steve Allen. Get your Bross tickets. I've got a few uh, few thousand going spare for you today. Bross, really, was three people, Craig, Matt and Luke. Matt and Luke were the two pretty bleach-blonde boys from Chertsey, who sort of, you know... I mean, Matt didn't have a bad voice. I'm not taking that away from him at all. It's just that he had this arrogance. And, in fact, if you want to understand the arrogance, read the book I Owe You Nothing, which I think Luke did. And, and it talks about the business. Nobody explained the business to him. They thought they knew everything. They thought they could carry on spending, whereas, in fact, there was no money. There was no money. They had to pay their taxes and everything. So they ended up with nothing. Luke uh, forged out a career in movies and Matt faffed around and then ended up in Vegas uh, in the Gossy Room, which was Cleopatra's Barge. If you go back there now, it's Cleopatra's Barge. And it's just a room with uh, some scantily clad dancers and, uh, and people sort of... Um, Go and pay and drink and watch dancers going, mm, you're cute, kind of thing. And then you end up with uh, with Matt Goss. Uh, then for some reason, and I can't work out what it is, he'd had a couple of shows at the Royal Albert Hall. He'd done something, I think, with uh, with Mitch uh, Watsit, who was um, Amy Winehouse's father. And they'd done some things for there. And that was fine. That was fine. And I think the Royal Albert Hall holds about... 4,000 people. I think that's about it. So they did that a couple of times. So that was that was 10,000 people. And based on that, somebody obviously went, why don't we do a Bross reunion? There you go. 5,272 seats. OK, now think about that. It has the capacity of up to that. OK, now we don't know whether or not Matt Goss sold that out or whether it was three quarters. I've got no idea. But that's how many it holds. So he does two there. And uh, he then starts appearing on television programmes and uh, people go, oh, is, is it right? Yeah, I think it's right for a sort of bros comeback because it... he's got this overinflated idea of himself. He can't play humble. It's very difficult. Whereas Luke's very much down to earth. And in fact, for many years, they never spoke. Uh, Craig quit the group, got his payoff and became very successful. He wasn't he doesn't bother about it at all now. Nobody's ever asked him. So who, who cares? And um, and so they then book them in and they go, let's book you into the O2. The O2 is 20,000 people. OK, that's a lot. That's four times the amount he sold out. So they struggle. But the story that goes out is that they've sold the whole lot out in seven seconds uh, or 10 seconds or whatever. Whatever it was, it was under a minute that they saw how that, that happened. I don't know. And um, and then on the strength of that one, they then book in around the country. They book in uh, Newcastle and Manchester and Glasgow and all sorts of places like that. And, uh, and they sell tickets in the venues. Unfortunately, these are big venues. And, you know, you'd have to be somebody terribly arrogant to think that the Bross, you know, fan club can afford to spend that sort of money. Because all the people who followed them are now married with children. They don't have this sort of money. You've got to think about that. You've really got to think about it very carefully. If it was, if it was the reformation of the Beatles, if they did like an Elvis thing, where you had two of the Beatles who were alive and then the other two playing back with them on the stage, then that would be worth it. This is just bros. They might have sold 20 million albums, but that was donkey's years ago. Donkey's years ago. You know, you didn't, didn't need to sell too many albums to become a huge success. And they did. I remember watching them and they appeared on Wogan and they ran down and they had their little gloves on and all the rest of their funny little outfits. And that was of the time. You know, that, that, was, the, that was of the time. Nowadays, things have, have changed a lot. So they book in all these shows around the country and uh, and there and I'm thinking something's going to go pear shaped here. It's just got to go pear shaped. 
And uh, so, consequently, we heard the other day that four of the shows are now cancelled. Uh, producer, staff producer, and uh, Aussie boy, uh, here and afterwards known as Homeless Person, uh, are going to see you 2 in Witten this summer because they're playing at the uh, the football, uh, sorry, at the rugby stadium in Witten, paying a lot less than what they're charging to see Bross at the O2. Clearly, you 2 are a much bigger group. Exactly. And also knowing what the market is. You know, if you were huge years and years and years ago and your fans were 15, 16, now you'll have grown up. They've, they've got kids. They can't afford 166 quid for a ticket. And uh, Simon says, and uh, I rang, <laughs> rang to see what time the Bross concert started. And the lady at the box office asked me what time I could get there. <laughs> well, that's quite funny, actually. It is, yeah. Oh, I'm, I've got tickets for the Bross concert. Do you know what time it starts? Well, whenever you get here. Somebody did that years ago, wasn't it? Um, wasn't it Buddy Holly before they took that ill-fated uh, flight? They, they did this uh, show and the guy said, listen, you know, there's hardly anybody turned up because it's too snowing outside. And so he said, you're going to do the show or not? And I said, well, what do you think? He said, well, hurry up because I've got to sweep up the floor and then get home before anything uh, happens. Adam says the whole Bross story sounds like a comedy film. Well, I mean, I don't think it's a comedy film, but I think it could be from rags to riches or from riches to rags, whichever way you look at it, because whatever happens, Luke can go back into his movies. This is just a, you know, something else to sort of do. And uh, and Matt does what? I don't I don't know. I don't know how much money he's made out of Vegas. I shouldn't imagine a vast amount. I shouldn't imagine he's made millions, although some of the clothes he wears look like they cost a little bit of money, but they could be from theatrical costumiers. Um, so I don't know. Somebody's losing big time on these shows because she must have had to put down a deposit. And then, as we discussed yesterday, all the merchandise, one lady wrote in and said she bought merchandise as Christmas gifts for her friends uh, for a show that's now not going to be taking place. What are they going to do with it? And the answer is, I don't know. I, the, the problem I found the other day with Bross was that they do the O2 show. What they should have done is Bross, O2, one show, sell it out, fantastic, you know, leave it and then sort of move on as opposed to trying to dilute it. According to the uh, internet, Matt has an estimated net worth of $4 million. I don't believe that. Four million, is that what they say? $4 million. Net worth here. Oh, there you go. Oh, now it's $16 million. That, oh, that's for Luke. Sixteen. Luke's got four times as much money. I don't see how he can have, really. I, I just really don't see that he's made that much money. I mean, that's, that's an awful lot, isn't it? Uh, Luke Goss is an English singer and actor. He never sang, did he? Did he sing on it? Was he singing on anything? Or was it all, all Matt? I don't know. Net worth of $16 million. Matt only four. Duh, that'll upset Matt, I should imagine. <laughs> he won't be pleased on that one. But either way, what do you do? You know, if you, if you can't sell out these shows... Because I think the fans who were in Manchester and Glasgow, they bought tickets for London without knowing that somebody sneakily behind their back was going to do a show in their hometown. And so if you've bought a ticket to come all the way down to London, which you could have actually got on the bus and hopped off at your local stadium, you'd be really fed up, wouldn't you? So it's not good. Not good at all. I don't think there's been any comment from, from the Bross brothers. Amazing, actually. But uh, let's wait and see. At the moment, Manchester's on the list. They, they've left one on there, but whether or not that survives, I, I mean, I really don't know. Or failing that, the second... Show at the O2. I just, oh, I just got a feeling that the press are going to sort of dig it in for them. This is LBC with Steve Allen. 
the diet to slash the risk of cancer is on the front of the Express this morning. Here we go again. This is yet another diet which is going to save you from this. I don't know what to buy when I go into a shop now. I see yesterday I nearly bought pomegranate seeds. And then I thought, I can't remember what they're good for. And then I thought, I'll eat some beetroot today. And then I thought, I can't remember what beetroot's good for. And then I ate some sausages the other day, but I didn't eat as many sausages as I was going to eat. I ate fewer sausages, which is better. And then Sandy's in Twickenham, they've got low-fat Cumberland sausages. So I thought I might try some of them and see if that, that is good. I don't know what I'm supposed to be eating. You know, they say this is good for you. The Mediterranean diet has always been good because it's got fish and because it's got tomatoes and everything else. And so it's fruit, vegetables and oily fish. Well, I'm not a fish person. I couldn't get excited about fish. So quite clearly, I'm going to be dying quite soon because I'm not going for the Mediterranean diet. Groundbreaking research shows women, OK, only women who ate healthy were 40 percent less likely to develop a fatal type of cancer which of course makes you feel really depressed because you think to yourself i don't do oily fish and for that i'm assuming sardines would they be classed as an oily fish mackerel stuff like that i don't know this doesn't hardly i've got indigestion now uh they say it could save thousands of women's lives so there will be many of you listening going well i'll try it i'll try it each year fifty-five thousand women in britain are diagnosed with breast cancer and about eleven and a half thousand die because what you've got to do if you, if you check yourselves, it's like men checking for t- testicular cancer. It's just a bit further up the body. And you sort of, you're feeling for a lump. And that's what you're... F- I'm doing it now. I don't know why I'm doing it, actually. I'm not a woman. Well, as far as I know, I'm not. I might trans. I don't know. I haven't quite decided yet. I'll let you know by the end of the programme. And, um, and if you feel anything, you go to the doctor. If they catch it early, it's good. It's good. So 62,000 women over 20 years were doing this large-scale study on... The Mediterranean diet. And so you're 40% less likely to develop it. So what they're looking at here, um, in Greece and Italy, apparently, the classic places, uh, where they consume large amounts of fruit, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, olive oil, little red meat, and moderate amounts of dairy, fish, poultry, and wine. Why? Well, in Italy, are you serious? Blimey. Anyway, so they're now saying, so you can do this. It is possible to follow this Mediterranean diet. That sounds bloody boring to me. The idea of sort of having to have this sort of fit. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just not into it. And then they say, oh, you can eat this and you can't. I mean, I, I was out the other day. I was in a supermarket. And again, I had one of my strange cravings. Sunday morning, I wanted a piece of toast. But you can't buy a piece of toast. You've got to buy a loaf of bread. So I bought a loaf of bread. And, um, and I had four pieces of toast. And that was it four pieces of toast and I'm now looking at a loaf of bread which I'm not really interested in because I don't know what to, but I looked along the cereals all the cereals I was thinking I don't know is that cereal any good for me nut fruit fiber and I thought no because it's got all the sugar and salt in it hasn't it there's nothing you could do about it and so consequently I didn't buy any cereal because I don't I don't know what to buy I don't know which ones are the right ones for me you know being diabetic and adding to uh, to all the other uh, problems but never mind eat what you like Steve says Brian uh, the way the world is now, I doubt any of us would be worrying about living till 90. It's all the fast food places, though. But I know, I know a number of people who, who are living till 90. Seriously, Brucey Forsyth is 89. Uh, my friends Bryn and Annie are heading in that direction. You know, not the best of health, but, uh, you know, hanging on in there. And that's as, that's as good as it gets. They're in the right place. Absolutely. Cereal is... Uh, uh, the cereal to have is shredded wheat. 
says Alan. 0.7 grams of sugar, whereas shreddies have 15 grams of sugar. So isn't it funny? See, I would have thought shreddies would have been good for me. But shredded, I think shred, I've had shredded wheat, bite size. They're dreadfully dull without sugar, but I have, I have learned how to uh, eat uh, stuff without sugar on, actually. Steve Allen on LBC. If you're one of those people who thinks that they're losing their memory, I can tell you how to boost it. Well, apart from getting in Paul McKenna, who can probably help you out on these sort of things. Uh, this is a trick we can all use to boost a memory in just six weeks. OK, ready? Here we go. Hard and fast rules. This is how, how the method works. To hone your memory using, uh, I think it's called local training. You start by assigning items to be memorised to objects in your house. For example, the bookcase, the coffee table and the lamp. Then go through the house in one direction, avoiding doubling back on yourself. Use permanent items such as the television uh, as prompt, rather than, than clothes, which have just been left on a chair. OK, following this so far? Uh, the technique can then be expanded to other locations, such as your route to work or way through the supermarket. So a route with 52 points would allow you to memorise the order of a deck of cards. Memory champions can use several thousand points as mental hooks. Well, there's no point in doing that in the supermarket. Because they keep changing it. You go in there and every so often you go, well, excuse me, where have you put the soup? Where's the soup? And they go, uh, we've moved that to the back. Why? It was perfectly happy at the front. And went, Where have bananas gone? Oh, you can imagine it would drive you to distraction. I mean, I mean, you could try it for pick, picking up from your man, couldn't you? I mean, you could, I could sort of try and associate him with, with items. I, suppose, I can't remember his name. Uh, I know it's Darren. I know he's Scottish. And that's, I, thought, oh, I don't know anything else. And he lives over the road. That's all I can tell you. I don't know anything else at all. But, but, but to associate it with the supermarket would be nothing short of pointless. Because they keep doing it every so often in M&S, and they do it in other supermarkets as well. Not as often in, um, I've noticed, uh, Waitrose. Waitrose still sort of stick to, this is the fruit and veg bit. These are the special offers, you know. Do I really need plain chocolate biscuits made in where? Malta? Oh, God, no. Try and find something made in this country, please. And, uh, and you go, oh, I must get some hundreds and thousands today. All these different things you go into the supermarket for. I'm useless. Never go in the supermarket if you're hungry. Because you pick up loads that you think, oh, I'll have that. And then you get around to eating it about three days later and suddenly realise it's past its sell-by date. Don't ever buy anything that's got salad with it. I did something the other day and the, the meal was Chinese. You know, and you know the Brits don't really cook Chinese very well. We, got, we just think Chinese is bean sprouts and one of those little squirty sauces like hoisin or black bean or something like that. And, uh, and this one came with bean sprouts with carrots and all sorts. I thought it would be nice as a little stir-fry. Because I've got a wok at home. I went in to buy some rice, if you remember, some time ago from Iceland. And uh, the woman said, oh, hold up. I bought three packets of Uncle Ben's instant rice, which you just add into a dish. And she said, hold on a sec. Went round the corner, came back, presented me with a wok. <laughs> so I go out with a wok. And I thought, and I've still got it. I haven't used it. I'm sort of looking at it thinking, I don't know, do I car boot it? What do I do with it? It's a bit odd, really. It's like I'm sort of coming out. It's no, it just says Uncle Ben's wok. That's all it says on it. And I've got it at home and I don't... Because I've got loads of frying pans because you know how I get through frying pans and saucepans like there's no tomorrow. Um, but they've got a lid on them. I can't cook something without a lid on. I like it to... It cooks better. But I've got this... It's when she presented me with a wok and I wasn't really prepared for it. I just wanted to walk in. So I'm now walking out with three packets of Uncle Ben rice. Other rice is available. And I'm also... And I've now got the wok in the other hand like I'm about to do a demonstration. And I sort of walk out and I can see people looking at me going, sad person, can't afford 5p for a carrier bag. Because they always offer you, don't they? They always say, do you need a carrier bag? And sometimes I go, no. And then the other day I bought 
20 little daffodils in pots, which are just shooting through. Was it 20? 18. It was 18. And so the woman said, she said, would you like a bag? And I thought, no, I'll just stick them in my ears and in my pockets. Of course I want a bag. And then they always have to apologise. They have to go, it's 5p. I then throw my hands up and go, five pence? Are you mad? I've just spent this much money on daffodils. You thought you could give me a free bag. So the other day, I didn't have a bag. I bought them on the tray that they were in. 18 on the train. I bought the whole tray out there, praying I didn't drop them on the way out there because I bought a bag of earth as well. I've discovered I talk to people in garden centres. It's not normal, is it? I'll be talking to them today about the budget. So you're better off. I banged into a woman with my trolley once. I, had to, I went and bought her a cake. Ages ago, I, I, I felt really awful about it because she sort of nearly went down in, in front of me. And because I, w- I was looking the other way, I was looking, oh, I find smash into the back of it. Down she goes. And she goes, oh, ow. I thought, don't labour the blooming point, please. And so I bought her a cake and she seemed to smile a lot. Steve Allen on LBC. How do you fancy being a celebrity collector? Believe it or not, uh, Tom Hanks uh, collects typewriters. That's what he collects. Don't ask me why. He collects typewriters. I mean, some people collect stamps. Some people collect uh, magic. I collect magic. And uh, some people, like Sylvester Stallone, who has sophisticated tastes, uh, collects rare books. And in fact, uh, Sly is uh, planning to sell a load, uh, I think, tomorrow. But when you look at what people collect, they say here, Victoria Beckham uh, collects handbags. It's because she's got the money and because it's Victoria Beckham. She's got the largest Hermes bag collection in the world, more than 100. Each Birkin or Kelly bag costs between six and £200,000. I mean, you know, far bit for me to comment on things like that. Elton John uh, collects glasses. He's got 250,000 pairs. He says, I don't have an iPod, a mobile phone or a computer, but I do have a quarter of a million pairs of glasses, which I can understand. I can understand people sort of getting them out and changing them on a, on a fairly regular basis. Uh, Rod Stewart collects model railways. Uh, apparently, uh, one floor of his Beverly Hills home is devoted to a spectacular sprawling layout with buildings, cars, train terminuses and everything else. Tom Hanks, as we say, collects vintage typewriters. About 200 of them he has at the moment. Angelina Jolie uh, collects knives. (laughs) Sounds a bit scary, doesn't it, really? They're housed in specially designed drawers. Penelope Cruz collects coat hangers. Coat hangers. She's got more than 500 at the moment. Uh, Claudia Schiffer... Uh, has has a collection of insects and arachnids. Oh, and she has sort of insect paintings and stuff like that. Don't like the sound of that one at all. Quentin Tarantino, um, uh, he he is obsessed with um, lunch boxes. He collects lunch boxes and board games and stuff like that. Board ga- I quite like board games. I wouldn't actually collect them. Uh, Johnny Depp has a a collection of (laughs) all sorts of things. He collects bats and has got a pigeon skeleton. He also favours art and crafts lamps, which complement his art deco furniture. Good Lord. Amazing, isn't it? Uh, Stallone collects antique books. He's got quite a lot of antique books. And uh, he's got more than a thousand volumes in his private library. He's got everything, actually. He's got all sorts of stuff. But uh, he's got limited editions and things like that. So he has the most interesting collection. He's bought very wisely. 
friend of mine was a theatre critic until he retired, but he had first editions of all these actors' books. First editions signed by them as well. And uh, when they were sold at auction, he got more than a million pounds. More than a million pounds. So that was his, his, his retirement. I don't really collect anything, actually. I've got some stife things like bears and Winnie the Pooh and Piglet and stuff like that. I've probably got about... Not very many. Not very many. But I've saved other things, you know, toys I've liked over the years, like Daleks, remote-controlled Daleks, but still all in their boxes. And I'm a hoarder. I do collect most things, actually, yeah. But these things I collect and I haven't opened them. So I haven't opened the Stife boxes with the teddy bears in or anything like that. I've also got those E.T. E.T. phone home, E.T. phone home, where his little finger lights up. But I, I haven't opened that box either. I've got all sorts of strange things, which I've not opened the boxes so that they, they can be sold, you know, as is. But the Stife things, I've got, I've got a few of those. But, the, but not really a collection. It's just, I just hoard. I just hoard things. I can't help it. I've still got, I've still got two rockets. Rockets, like firework rockets, from five years ago. I'm, sure, I'm surprised they haven't taken off by now, seriously. I bought them ages and ages ago because they're one silver and one's red metallic and and i thought do fireworks go off do they have sell-by dates on fireworks because i'm a little bit worried about lighting it if i light it and sort of set it off and it just blows up in my face that wouldn't be very clever at all would it but uh so i don't know i don't know whether just break them down and throw them away i've got silly th- silly things i've still got the um the queen's uh diamond jubilee edition of country life magazine i don't know why i've saved it there's no logical reason behind any of these things it's just i'm a hoarder you might find in years to come they go look what he's got look what he's got i've got furbies i've got loads of furbies i must have about 10 furbies in there but i don't know why it's not normal is it really you know when you when you say to somebody do you actually collect things and i go well actually not intentionally no i mean i used to collect prosecco but it just never lasted very long and £50 notes, and that never uh, that never lasted either. But uh, you must collect things at home. You must have things that you've sort of saved. Some people collect beer mats, don't they? Beer mats. And I know people who save uh, toggles. They're, you know, you're not toggles. These things you put round your neck, the lanyard with different things. Because I've been to so many different things, and I've got them. And I looked at the other day, I thought, I've still got a Victoria Beckham autograph to Steve. You said we wouldn't last. I was tempted to write back and go, well, I was right, wasn't I, about you and Bross? And uh, although the Spice Girls became marginally more interesting than Bross ever did. Steve Allen on LBC. David Attenborough's TV shows, we're told in the papers today, are the ones that boost your health because he's got such a nice voice. And um, and that's why you sort of listen to him. And you. it doesn't matter whether we're... And here comes the lion and going to kill the wildebeest and and we go oh isn't that nice he's so caring isn't he and the wildebeest has just been ripped apart by the uh, by the lions who are taking it back meanwhile over in the other part of the serengeti uh, there's two cheetahs which are launching an attack on a water buffalo uh, here is the water buffalo being dragged down to the ground and the animal's coming in and it's sitting there and this is where the lions are ganging up on the wildebeest, who hasn't got the faintest idea that there's a gang of lions there. Here they come now. The first lion's moving in. It's heading off. I say the wildebeest is now heading. Oh, it's turned round backwards, but unfortunately, there's the three sisters of Simba the lion, who's at the front there. It's not all cosy-cosy like the Lion King, thank you very much indeed. This is Massacre on a huge scale, and that's why we like him. It's a boost to our health. And we all sit there going, what a lovely voice he's got. <laughs> 
Sometimes I make myself laugh on this programme. I'm going to go home and listen to it one of these days. <laughs> if you were sitting in the sitting room and a line came through the wall, you'd be the first one to cling to the chandelier. But uh, if you've ever watched Jumanji, watch Jumanji. If you want to watch rhinoceroses coming through the wall, that's the one thing you go, now that's clever. How they trained them to do that, I've got no idea. Those are all the highlights I've got time for this morning. Don't forget, I'm back live from five o'clock tomorrow morning and we'll be with you for the 4am spike all next week too. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.